Welcome to the Untapped Philanthropy Podcast. We're your hosts, Flux's co-founder, Corinne Mitchell, and Neon One's Tim Sarantonio. We've spent our career learning how to leverage technology and data in the social sector to better connect and serve our collective causes, constituents, and communities. In this podcast series, we profile leaders, public figures, philanthropists, and industry experts to explore the fascinating intersection of funding, technology, and policy. We're here to analyze the most formative topics and trends that shape the present and future of philanthropy. Happy holidays to all of you, and welcome to our final episode of Untapped Philanthropy in 2023. This has been a year that has been basically on light speed mode. Like this has been so quick as me as the first year, Tim Sarantonio here as co-host. This is my first full year, Corinne. I can't believe it's gone by this quickly. But time like, flies when you're you're having fun, Tim. We are having fun. <laughs> and and we're having some extra special fun today because my like double orig- fun. Like double fun. Like <laughs> triple fun even. And I'm really excited for our final guest of the year. We had this wild idea to do a recording at Neon One's Generosity Exchange Virtual Conference with Phil Tang of Grantable. And it was such a great conversation and people went wild in the chat. But let's also address the realities of audio quality control. And we wanted to deliver you the best possible episode. So we are inviting Phil back. Phil, Philip, hello hey. again. Hey, I, that's a big buildup. And I, I, I think I counted double or triple the fun that we're supposed to bring today. So triple, yeah. triple fun. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. Well, let's kick this in a high gear. I'm going to kick things off for you, Philip, to kind of, if, if folks don't know who you are, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and, and kind of talk about your path, your journey into this career in philanthropy, generosity, technology. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm Philip Dang. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Grantable, which is uh, an AI grant writing assistant software. Um, and I came to this role after a 15-year career in the nonprofit sector. So I was a teacher in the Marshall Islands and in China. Then I uh, moved up a little bit and started managing nonprofit programs also in China, doing some environmental justice work. I returned to the Seattle area where uh, I, I went to high school and, and my, my father lives and started a nonprofit there after doing some community organizing. So really took on all the hats that a, a lot of folks listening probably know all about wearing. Um, and then uh, through that experience, I ga- got, gained a lot of experience with, with grant seeking and then ended up managing a grants program for a land trust and then going out on my own as a solo consultant and built a process during that time that made me really efficient uh, in, in creating grant proposals. And in 2020, I was tinkering around with trying to learn how to make software because I thought my process could be its own tool that other grant seekers could use. And then I, I learned about GPT-3 in December of 2020, and I just thought it was mind-blowing. And kind of a perfect fit for what I was trying to build. So I really leaned into trying to start a company. Uh, 2021 was kind of a solo year, really trying to find a collaborator. And then I met my co-founder, Robert, 
during that year. And we teamed up in 2022. And so the last couple of years, we've been working together to build this company Grantable. And what I really, I really love about Grantable actually is that you're taking this this AI conversation that everyone's having and and, and coming up with you know pretty uh, I know interesting ideas, but but Grantable takes it beyond all the sort of demos and memes that a lot of people get stuck in, and you're really helping to apply these sort of solutions to what could really assist, like you said, grant writers, nonprofits, folks that are in our industry that are really struggling to have that pragmatic, practical approach or tactical things they can do with it. Um, I know that you you sort of look at Grantable and say, this is something that started so early ago. I absolutely love that because you built it with those new models in mind and that new technology in mind. Can you give us kind of the, the Grantable 101 pitch just for those who may not be familiar? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> thanks for the question. It's it's kind of a uh... It's three it's three main parts, I would say. Um, there's your content library, which all grant writers know about. It's wherever you keep all your your content, your previous proposals, your your boilerplate, all that that language that you use. So we've taken that and we've amped it up with AI. So just hold that in for a second. Smart content library. Then you've got your AI writing assistant, which I think everybody's seen chat GPT just spitting out all kinds of, uh, of text. So we've brought GPT into the, the space as well. So it can write anything in any way that you want. And then there's the writing space, which I think people maybe have forgotten about uh, if they get really into the, the chat GPT land, um, where all you're doing is you're interacting with a bot. But, you know, that isn't the ideal space to do document editing. It, it really is that word processor interface. So we have those three pieces we brought together. And what happens in Grantable then is when you upload content to your account, or if you just work on a grant in Grantable, that all becomes part of your smart library. Then the next grant you work on, you can just go be writing, you know, working on, on your way. And then you come to a spot where you want AI assistance, you highlight it, you press command J, and your AI uh, little box pops up and you can ask it to answer this or revise this or shorten or lengthen. And then it will do that and it will use content from your library, which it's intelligently searching or you can tell it what, what content to use. And then it will instantly generate that response or that output in your organization's voice using your facts, your figures, so we cut down on those hallucinations. It doesn't sound generic, you know, like the internet in general. It sounds like you. Um, so what we've done is created this cycle, which actually grant seekers all know about. That's how you gain efficiencies when you're when you're doing this at scale. And all we've done is really supercharge that cycle with GPT, with AI, to make the document management, the content management finding the different excerpts that you need, and then getting that first draft on the page can now happen in seconds. And then there's still this gorgeous writing inter interface where you, the, the human being in charge, can make those fine-tuning edits that still should be made and, and uh, really provide that expert oversight. So that's grantable. Here, here's what I love about that and, and the vision there, Philip, because my first job was a grant writer in the sector. It was 2008. That's what I got hired to do. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. 
you know, I had grant writing for dummies. That's the, that's where I started my journey here. And, and kind of what drives me, cause I had to very quickly, cause it was 2008, pivot to individual giving. Cause the grants dried up because mm-hmm. I had to hunt around for them. I didn't know what narratives that would hit in an environment like that. I didn't have anything. It was a nonprofit that had $90,000 in annual revenue. Yeah. That included me. That included the ED. That included the operations costs. It was as like bare bones a situation as you can imagine. And so my driving passion for all of this is I never want to have people go through the pain that is avoidable because of technology being used correctly that I went through, right? Because if I had grantable back then, there's a very good chance I probably, maybe, well, maybe that organization wouldn't have been helpful. But like, there's a lot that I think you're, you're, you're doing to save those core pain points and also to be able to, to more quickly drive that over into the individual giving side from a narrative standpoint too, because you can start to take those narratives and go, okay, let's tell this into a story for individual donors as well, right? Mm. So that that's what I think is is so cool about all of this. And I just wanted to make sure that I flagged it because I lived that pain <laughs> as a grant writer. I think yeah, it's that- really interesting, Phil, like it, to your point, Tim, and to be honest, obviously you have a very distinct way of communicating and, and, and voice is so important. I think that's one of the things you really mentioned upon that I love too. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to dive into that, which is like, how does this scale? You said it, it understands your voice and the forms it takes. Tell us a little bit how, how you train that model or what that, that looks like, because that's really the most important point to make this something that does you know, really make a difference in the way that grant makers write. Can you talk like more about that, that idea of unique voice and style? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot that folks are learning about uh, in terms of how these AI systems work. The, the models that, that have been created by companies like OpenAI, which is, this is one we use, you know, they're, they're so capable. They've been, there's so much in those models that we don't have to, train them very much. And when organizations use Grantable, they're actually not training a model on its own. What they're doing is they're basically relying on GPT's ability to imitate or to um, amplify what you've already written or to mimic your style. Um, So that's another thing that these models are very good at. And one of the things that we figured out is if you interact with ChatGPT, that's a general purpose product that is meant for hundreds of millions of people to use in any which way. Um, so they, that's kind of a one to many. Um, and what we've done is said, okay, we actually just want to leverage GPT's writing ability and its ability to kind of continue to to take one thing and mimic it or amplify that. And so when you do that and you have the content that an organization wrote before, you know, with just the the leadership team or the grant people, um, and you put that in there and then you say, hey, GPT, use this to answer, you know, use uh, A to answer B. You know, it's going to sound very similar to the original because that's what we're having it do. The the thing that a lot of, of grant professionals and and Tim maybe this is what you were speaking to the sort of the the pain of that process once the creative part is over 
there's a lot of just sort of rep- repetition and these like character limits and and word count limits and yep. Yep. you know just particular ways that different funders want the same information rearranged and i know from my experience i actually like writing the first couple proposals because you're really putting a lot of thought and creativity and 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 shaping that language to be efficient and compelling you're picking your best stories your best data and then you're, you're, there's a lot of creativity there and, and work. But by your fifth or sixth, where you're just taking what was a beautiful 800-character answer and you know s- extending it to 2,000 or smooshing it to 200, um, that part I never found to be enjoyable. And, and that's what I've heard from a lot of the folks using our platform is that that part of it, it, it becomes a lot easier. And then just to bring it back, Tim, to your point about the equity of the space. One of the reasons why when I was also, I had a, an organization, I was behind you. I didn't even get the grant writing for dummies book. I was too much <laughs> a dummy to even read the book, but I made it. I, we had less money. And every time I, I worked on a proposal, I poured my heart into it, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours worth of gathering uh, letters of support, like bringing the the grantors to the space where we were trying to uh, have our, our program happen. I mean, and getting to the semifinals, I don't even know how much time at that point um, had been invested and to get nothing, like really to be the runner up and get nothing out of that. Um, it made it so that choosing to apply for a grant became a terrifying prospect. Such a gamble is what it felt like. And so one of the things that we're trying to do now is to level that playing field because the process itself is a barrier to most small organizations that have so many things that that demand their time. And then, yes, they see that grant opportunity. Yes, it looks aligned, but if the ED or somebody uh, that has a lot of responsibility spends 20 hours on that proposal and gets nothing in return, it's, that's very, very costly for an organization like that. So we're really trying to shrink the cost of the application in terms of time and capacity. Um, and hopefully in that way, open up uh, the opportunity for grant funding to so many more organizations out there. Well, then it shifts it back to the, the root of what all of this is, which is outlining through a compelling story when you get down to it your unique path to change and the Mm. reasons to believe that path to change. And if we align it back to how do most people become part of the nonprofit sector, a lot of the 97% of small to mid-sized nonprofits in particular making under $5 million, everybody that I talk to is usually some random story in a holiday episode, we get to, you know, drop this reference and it makes sense. You join the island of misfit toys and everybody has a different story how they got on the island. That's a very so, solid Christmas reference you just It's said. a great like, Christmas reference. Bumbles. And you, really yeah, the holiday they, fun we are promising the listeners, actually. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The payoff on that. But, 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 but so many people, they maybe join because they were a social worker. And mm-hmm. they really believed in the work. These are not like English nerds, right? English majors, right? And let's not even speak to, you know, the language barrier on grant writing too. But when you get down to it, sometimes 
there's just a lot of things that something like Grantable can say, we're going to level the playing field here. And, yeah. and that's, that's where it's really, really interesting. But I also love how you zero in on like almost that first party data side where it's like, yo, don't worry about the, the like in some ways the foundational model. We'll get to responsible AI in a moment, mm. but the larger world of like ChatGPT is ChatGPT. This is you. And what is your story? And what is your data? And what is your narrative and your tone and your voice? Like that's what's so compellingly powerful about this. Yeah, I love that. Well, good, it's your thing. (laughs) 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 I mean, when you talk about this idea of of AI, though, and like some of the really interesting use cases, just to kind of take it a step further, the things that the community comes up with are oftentimes some of the best ideas, you know, we have at Flux, for example, and, and people's ability to take the tool and harness it around something that makes sense for them, and then create something we never even thought was possible. I mean, that's one of the things that's the most exciting as a technologist. Do you have some kind of fun examples of where people are stretching your platform or using it in unique ways? <laughs> um, Love that question. That's a really cool... Because it's like, how are they trying to break it, Philip? I mean, we have well, this one guy in New Zealand at, like who works with Flux, and he does some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. I'm like, I didn't even know it could do that. Like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I, it's just so interesting when you put AI in the hand of the collective and you say, figure it out, what do you do? Where have people come up with cool things where Grantable is just extended in ways that have benefited them and you never thought? I I actually, I'll I'll probably wear this as like a a badge of we need to continue to improve because what what I've seen is people have been happy with Grantable, have, you know, reached out for some tech support and then I've gotten on on video with them and asked them to show me what they're doing. And they were actually not using even the most powerful features and still finding it useful. Um, so I, I kind of look at it that way. And I, I guess the way I'm seeing this is that this generative AI technology is so new, so different, so powerful that people are kind of experiencing even like a, a portion of the functionality of Grantable and kind of g- being wowed and then staying there. And I think the challenge for us is actually to, to improve the tool, improve the educational content so that they quickly see the full potential of what, they're, right. what they've signed up for. Um, so what I'm working on right now is a series of um, uh, educational modules, which are just free and um, free self-directed course on our website. And so basically, I'm trying to add a little bit of AI 101 grounding and then some pr- uh, overview of generative AI and then zooming into actually how can you use different tools in your grant seeking um, and doing it myself, sharing my screen, just talking through um, what that's like. And that's become uh, a really popular page on our website. So I think people are very hungry for the knowledge. Um, and then I think where we might start to see people doing really, really uh, wild stuff is that part of our roadmap is to now uh, improve the intelligence beyond just helping you write, but actually starting to build a bit of strategic advising. Um, when you put a proposal in and you're sitting down to, to start on it, we want Grantable to be able to help you think through the process and how are you going to put this application together in the best way. So that I think is where 
where we may see a lot of really, really interesting use cases that we never thought of. Um, so that that's yeah. kind of what I've seen. Education is really interesting. I, I feel the same way. If you walk two or three steps beyond where your audience is, you'll lose them. So it's almost like you have to kind of feed them into a mindset that makes them start to think differently and around the way that you know AI can benefit. It, it, it's, it's interesting how that becomes something that you have to almost enroll them into what could be and then teach them how to do the steps to get there. That's a really interesting yeah. Or, you know, it makes me think just now, like how how valiant and courageous grant professionals have been all these years piecing together different tools and tactics and spreadsheets and documents just to kind of try to make this very broken system a little bit more efficient. There's a feature in Grantable, which is just that when you, you can search across your whole library by keyword. So everything in your, in your whole account, you can, you can search through quickly and get down to the, to the word. And people are just like, oh my gosh, this is the, this is an amazing feature because what they're doing is they're sort of, you know, looking for all the documents in their different folders or shared drive, clicking each of them open into like eight different tabs, and then control F in one, nope, it's not there, control F in another, nope, it's not there. And that's been the state of the art for for quite a while now. And so I'm kind of just in awe of how people in this field have continued on and just found ways to try and save a minute here, a minute there, and then when we bring out this feature, like, yeah, here's just one search uh, field that lets you find what you're looking for across your whole library. They're so appreciative. And they're like that. They, there have been people that have signed up for Grantable just for that feature. And then we tell them there's AI and they're like, whoa, <laughs> that's even cooler. Well, and I think this goes back to to who's the audience, right? And the vast majority, if we think about that book, Crossing the Chasm, right? Grant writers are not the early adopters here. A lot of them are writing things down in notebooks and legal pads <laughs> and, and, and working out their thoughts there in a lot of different ways. And so these little quality of life things um, that streamlines it, I, I think back to the, the, uh, the bear episode forks because I try to work the bear into every conversation now. <laughs> and every second counts is mm -hmm. kind of the takeaway they and that's not only a life lesson but it absolutely applies to work here too because it's like if i'm not if i'm spending my time hunting around for different documents or mm -hmm. even different phrases like oh man i really loved what i said in that thing mm -hmm. where was that right and instead of hunting around god knows where we're all organizing this or <laughs> gmail <laughs> you know, Google Docs, all yeah. this different stuff to be able to find it is, I think that's the revolutionary part about it. But, you know, let's, let's actually, I, I don't want to throw cold water on it, Philip, because you're also on the forefront of this. Let's talk about the responsibility of yeah. that centralization, that level of power to have that amount of information let's talk about security. Let's talk about, you know, things like compliance. Where, where's your head at here? Cause you have a really excellent take and I want to make sure people hear this. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot, um, obviously, you know, we're not too far removed from the whole 
OpenAI fires Sam Altman and then rehires Sam Altman fiasco that happened around. Please, please, I have to interrupt. Please make sure you work sectorism into your answer at some point. So, (laughs) Uh, yeah. So Tim's referring to a piece I wrote about that, um, and I I'm sort of coining a term called uh, I'm calling it sectorism, where I just saw everybody just point the finger at nonprofits. And for those who don't know. Um, OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT, was started in 2015 by a bunch of folks, including Sam Altman and Elon Musk and uh, Reid Hoffman, a bunch of other tech folks. And they they chose very smart people who had built the biggest companies on earth said, okay, you know, we've been down that road 50 times. We're going to do this as a nonprofit. And they did that very intentionally because they saw a conflict between the power of the technology they were seeking to build and the profit-making motive. They'd seen that kind of corrupt over and over again. So they said, we're going to make this a nonprofit so that we can insulate this technology and this work and the mission from the power uh, or the allure of creating a lot of wealth. And so that went okay until they realized they needed way more money than a nonprofit could quickly enough raise. And so they created a for-profit entity to do the fundraising, to, to hold all this, the shareholders, but it would be run and overseen and owned and controlled by the nonprofit entity. And that all went okay for a few years. ChatGPT comes out, takes the world by storm. And then just over this last Thanksgiving, out of nowhere, uh, at least to the public, the nonprofit board fired the very charismatic and sort of the face of AI right now, Sam Altman, who was their CEO and a co-founder and a board member. Um, and that just shook everything up, at least in, in the tech sector. People were really uh, alarmed by it. And, you know, everything went around this, this wild merry-go-round and, and people, you know, musical chairs might even be the better, the better mm-hmm. game. Sam Altman is now back. Everything is kind of mostly where it was, except everybody is pointing their fingers at this nonprofit entity saying, oh, nonprofits, you know, they're, they're, they don't know what they're doing. They're just innovation. Yeah. Yeah, Just throwing it under the bus as if like, you know, this wasn't an intentional move by the, the person that you're all holding up saying, you know, Sam Altman is this, this person that's so important for the company. He was instrumental in creating this organizational structure. Um, And so just to come back to responsibility, that was their attempt, that company's attempt to try to be responsible, to try to have human decision-making, human centricity, human values at the center of that organization creating the power. I think one of the ways that I'm starting to analogize this is like, you know, you either have AI or you can even have capitalism as an engine. And that's great. We've figured out the engine. Now we need to figure out the steering wheel because what we've gotten really good at is just making these these engines that drive off, you know, super fast and just plow over all kinds of things that we care about. And what I think the challenge for us now to figure out in this in this next probably five to 10 years is how do we better steer and harness and correct for the the externalities of capitalism, of AI, 
of these forces in our economy. And that's what I kind of see as responsible AI. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming at is to say, how do we actually take human decision-making and create structure around it, create legal structure, organizational structure, policy, and norms? How do we put that around AI and, and so many other things so that we can steer it, so that we can guide it and sometimes choose to say yes to some things and no to other things? And I don't think we have, uh, we've, we've not figured out the the, the yes and no uh, very well yet. So I think um, when it comes to grantable, what we're what we're doing is, you know, I think we we hold all of our user data separately and apart from the model. And when you send an AI request to GPT, you know, there's a very specific prompt. There's maybe a few snippets of context, and then you get your output back. There's no way around that. We have to interact with an AI model, but their policy uh, in, in their relationship with our company is that they don't keep that data, they don't train on that data, they don't use it to improve GPT. So that data gets wiped after 30 days um, because that's the arrangement with, with companies like ours. Um, and then on our end, we're not training the model uh, with, with the data either. So I think what people are going to have to start to figure out is, where is your data living? Because there's so much more that can be done with AI models in, in these next five to 10 years. And who is holding that data? And do you share the same view of what ethical and responsible technology means? So talking about where that future is going in AI, you say five to 10 years, obviously, it's like five to 10 months knowing this uh, gorgeous light speed, you know, like race that we're all running towards. But the truth is exactly that it has to align to the values of who you are, what you stand for, how you believe, you know, the sector is, is going to be creating itself. And, and I think this is something I look to you and say, there's a lot of places where your roadmap is constantly having to be sort of re recalibrated, I'm sure. But tell us a little about what is potentially changing in our sector and where you as grantable are meeting that change? Well, so in the near term, um, just going back to the theme of how do we keep lowering barriers? How do we keep making the prospect of grant funding more accessible? Uh, we just partnered up with GrantStation um, to offer both of our products together at a discount. And the idea there is that kind of two of the, the top problems that spring to mind for grant seekers are, first, where do I find grant opportunities? And second, okay, great, <laughs> where do I find the time to work on all of those proposals? And what we've thought was, was really cool is we talked with their team, we've been in conversation with them for a long time, and we really, really love how long they've been in the community of nonprofits, almost 30 years, they really have a wonderful story of growing up with the sector. And they said, look, we have this incredible database that we you know, scrape all these opportunities, but then we have a team of experts, human beings, calling the foundations, checking in with them to make sure these opportunities actually exist. I know a lot of listeners out there probably 
followed uh, an opportunity all the way to the website only to realize it's invitation only or it's not active. So what they do is they really go do that work for you to make sure that their database has live opportunities. And then, you know, it's really filterable. You can search down and then there's even like a, an organization platform in there where you can manage different projects and kind of save all of your leads and, and your application statuses. Um, and so they said, you know, we've got that figured out, but then, you know, their organizations that say, okay, great, but I still don't have time to apply for, for those opportunities. And then along comes Grantable where it's like, well, actually, you know, you could write your grants five times faster. That's our average uh, with with AI. Um, people can, you know, put in one grant and pretty much have the AI assist you in drafting another. And the more you use it, I mean, your language is going to get better and better. You'll have a larger library and you'll get faster is, is the idea. So together, kind of like peanut butter and jelly or, you know, uh, wine and cheese, whatever your, your metaphor is, um, they go together so well. So we thought, okay, let's offer this as sort of an annual uh, package to help people find and write their grants. Um, so that's in the near term. Um, but this, this week, I'm actually working on the article uh, as we speak. I'll try to publish in the next couple of days here. But the big idea, I'm sort of, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit sore about how everybody reacted to the open AI situation. So I know I'm not going to convince Microsoft of the value of, of nonprofit decision making. But uh, my, my perspective in, in, into the long term uh, and not that far is that the nonprofit sector, nonprofit jobs are the high ground when AI starts to automate more and more private sector work. And, you know, those jobs in the private sector, any for-profit company is incentivized to lower their cost. And so AI's promise is that it's going to be able to do more and more of all kinds of jobs at a lower cost and higher quality. And the companies are going to be incentivized to make that switch. And I think it's going to happen, Corinne, as you were saying, at light speed. You know, in the past, when new technology has come out, there's been enough time where one specific job, let's take, you know, the sewing machine eliminates uh, seamstress work, but it, it creates a fashion industry. And then people have the time to create all of those new jobs and, and people buy more clothes. And, you know, that's been the, the, the model before, but that's taken years and years and years to unfold. I, I wonder, I think at this point, we may have th the first invention that is actually faster than innovation itself. And I think that's a, a, a sort of a, a line that we may be crossing with AI in the next few years. And in that case, if AI can take over work faster than we as a society can adapt to, to the new opportunities it's creating, one of the places where I think a lot of people will move is to the nonprofit sector. We know that there's a huge amount of work to be done around the world in terms of nonprofit work. And the work itself, because it lacks a profit motive, is, I believe, much more insulated against AI coming in and really disrupting the sector as much. So one of the long-term visions that I have for how AI is actually going to shape the nonprofit sector and philanthropic work 
is that I think our sector should prepare to to welcome in a, a whole new wave of people, maybe a new generation of people, and to start expanding and to start shifting the composition of our workforce so that many more people are caring for people, caring for the environment, pursuing arts and culture. That's the vision that a lot of the AI luminaries have proposed as the most positive future out there. And the thing that they don't realize, which really drives me crazy, is that that exists. It's called the nonprofit sector, but it's small. And every time something goes wrong, people kind of deride it or you know promote this sectorist uh, viewpoint. And what I actually think, there's going to be this sort of poetic irony, which is once the change, the speed of change really starts to accelerate and, and, and job change and economic change really starts to be visible, I think a lot of people are going to look over at the nonprofit sector and, and realize, hey, that looks like a really purposeful, dignified way to do something really meaningful in my community or on the planet. And I think it's going to hopefully be where a lot of people consider work. And I think what we have to do is prepare for that. And I think we have to figure out how do we scale up our systems and scale up the funding. And that's really on, you know, private funders, corporate, government, individual donors. How do we start directing the resources to this sector so that it can scale up to bring in and welcome more people to do all this work that needs to get done? Um, so two very, very different answers to your question, like in the near term, how are we trying to make, you know, life, uh, quality of life a little better, as Tim put it. And then in the long term, which isn't that long, as Corinne was saying, I would say, you know, in in this decade, um, we're going to have to really start to adapt more quickly than than societies have had to in the past. I mean, the very nature of work is is on the table for discussion and overhaul here. Because, yeah, I, it, there's just so many things and so many directions we can go with. I mean, that's, gosh, Philip, that's probably another three hours we can talk about that one. Um, I had to reflect <laughs> on that. But let's uh, let's actually end on, on, I wouldn't even call it utopian, Philip, because I think it's realistic if we set our mind to it. But yeah. I think that's a very positive way to end things. I think it's a really excellent vision for the future. So we do have a fun little segment, and we kind of did this uh, uh, at Generosity Exchange, so we might switch it up a bit. Um, holiday edition, Corinne. Oh. Let's do some, let's do some rapid-fire questions. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Uh, I'll start. Um, All right. And I'm just adapting the ones that you have do it. for a little bit more. I'm excited to see what you come up with. Okay, Philip. So okay. Uh, let's imagine we have non-denominational Santa mm-hmm. you know, okay. here. And, and it's, it's, it's the morning, there's a present in front of you, but instead of a thing, it is a transformative idea that you can open up and it becomes reality. Not Pandora's box. Okay. There's no catch here. It's just, okay. it's, it's a really it's, fancy non-denominational Christmas present. Exactly. It's like the most magical Santa right. Christmas magic ever right. in a Hallmark special type of way mm-hmm. that, it's uh, like a movie. that, like a movie you've opened it up and the world is changed what is inside that box oh gosh uh the thing that comes to me is global mindfulness like every single person on earth gains a 
much greater understanding and awareness of their inner experience, the narrative that's the, the, they, they separate from the voice that we all have in our heads. That is the mind, the chattering, the chattering mind, and then gain this awareness and this distance to be able to, uh, observe that. And then also the feelings and the emotional experience. I I've found that to be transformative in my own life. It's something I try to cultivate. And I just, gosh, if, if, if humanity could have a little bit more space there, I think it would be really, really wonderful for the planet and for the, for all the people. Love it. Love it. Corinne, your version, you do not need to stick. I know. To I was like, holiday. I feel pressure to like weave in some sort of, um, fun modern twist on holiday traditions but I'm, I, I'm I mean mine's to... gonna be related to terrible hallmark movies <laughs> okay, by uh, the way Philip, you know so heads up it's good it's good i'm actually gonna go i liked your answer to this one so i'm gonna ask you to reprise it which is you're in a time machine you've av- you've accessed <laughs> it and you can only witness one moment in history and you can't alter it just witness it which moment would you observe and why does it captivate your interest did you like my answer from last time, the first one or the second one? <laughs> oh, that's a great. I just remember it being. That's a good point. You had I, two. I wasn't. I really answered, you know, from the hip last time, and it was. I don't. I don't know how it landed, but I'll tell you both. Maybe uh, my first answer, uh, which I continue to believe in, is that I would like to go back and witness the making of the first pizza. Um, and because I'm, I'm really, I mean, we, we, we share a love for the bear and I, I really, really enjoy cooking and food. And I just think it's, there's so much in like a, a dish like that, you know, from the grains to the, to the, to the sauce, to like figuring out how to make cheese and then the right temperatures in the oven. Like, I just think the first person that did that was an innovator that has touched how many lives now. Um, mm-hmm. And so you could, there are a number of foods that I would just love to kind of follow <laughs> back in time and, and see uh, the origination of it. Um, and then my other answer was sort of related to my mindfulness um, uh, answer for the first one, which was to go back and, and, you know, follow Buddha through the path to enlightenment. Um, that might have been um, powerful to witness, or you know, hopefully inspiring and, and not discouraging. Like, oh gosh, that's. Could you bring him pizza? I think I feel like we we could definitely talk about the experience over a couple slices, and yeah, maybe that's really. You combine that's the two, the then you don't have to have two answers. Yeah, that's, you don't have to. That's the moment. Is it's actually it's a moment that maybe didn't happen ever, it's but the convergence moment of time and space continuum, like yes, that, that brought exactly. together two important things. Yeah, I'm bringing the Buddha and the first yeah. pizza maker mm-hmm. together, and we sit down and we 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 have some pizza and we talk about enlightenment. I feel like a generative AI bot could kind of render that for you, like a little mid. You know, I, I think we could figure this out. We'll work on it. Yeah, our, maybe in the next yeah. yeah next few months here in GPT five. That's kind of right. you know the main use. It's just making the pizzas for yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Um. All right. I'll 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 end on this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit more serious instead of my original idea because of what you were talking about, Philip. What is what is a dish that says home to you? Hmm. A dish that says home to me uh, is there's a a dish that 
my grandfather on my mom's side used to make in the summers when my cousins would come from Hong Kong. It's called jiajiang mian, uh, which translates to fried sauce noodles. And I don't think he even made it the way that it's made in China. I think he kind of improvised it. Uh, they grew up, they lived in Minnesota for, uh, my, my grandmother's still there. She's 96. Um, so for 70 years, um, but he used to make this and it's a, it's kind of a sweet, savory sauce with noodles and then shaved cucumber, like little mm. shredded cucumber. Mm. Um, and you can eat it hot or cold and they would just make mountains of this stuff. And, all the cousins, we'd, we'd play all day and then we'd come in like a, like a herd of us and just go to town on, on these noodles. And I still make them pretty frequently these days. And it always transports me back to those summers, which are some of my happiest memories. So that's the dish that comes to mind. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Philip, I want to thank you for joining our final episode of the season, our 2023 season, and sharing more about yourself and about the amazing work that you're doing at Grantable. Uh, if listeners want to learn more about you or Grantable, obviously they can go to grantable.co, but also drop your your sub stack as well. Tell, tell people where they can connect with you beyond uh, grantable.co. Yeah, it's an honor to be on the the last of the year. I hope it's not my last one, uh, last time on the pod. Um, so this was really fun. Uh, my Substack is philipdeng.substack.com. And the only thing to know there is Philip with one L and my last name, Deng, D-E-N-G. Um, and you can find that on my LinkedIn as well and any, any number of other ways. What's a stellar 2023. We started the year interviewing Michael Thatcher at Charity Navigator, and we're ending with Philip Deng. In between, we discussed all sorts of different trends in philanthropy, in the ways that people can connect and collaborate with each other, uh, trust-based philanthropy, and, and the overall equity role that our sector plays in overall society. Um, it's such a pleasure to be a co-host of Untapped Philanthropy. This is my first full year, Corinne. I know. I'm so thrilled we had you. Come join us. And just, I mean, it's it's almost like you never, I can't imagine having or doing this without you. It's so lovely having you here, Tim. So thank you for a 2023 gift of of joining all of us here. And and honestly, listeners, we just want to thank you. You know, our heartfelt yeah. appreciation for an amazing 2023 season. Obviously, your support has been just so critical and, and so memorable. We look forward, obviously, to a new year. But Tim, we already have so many of our guests lined up for next year, which is like exciting because I look at it. We're opening up with Trista Harris and some major voices around the futurist kind of view of the social sector. And then we go from there into, I mean, some really fun guests. Um, do you want to highlight any of the, the, sort of the, the sort of arc, if you will, of, of the 2024 season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's continuing our, our exploration of the intersections of philanthropy and technology toward that, that broader goal of untapping philanthropy. And, and I think it's also going to be fun that we're going to kind of surprise you with some of our guests. Yeah. Um, and I don't, this is why it's a tease, folks. I'm not going to tell you yet. Other than it's, it's got to do with crisis 
uh, crises and celebrities, uh, <laughs> uh, the generosity. It's it's unpacking the larger crises, but in a way that will surprise and delight you. So right. we're staring into the abyss in 2024 and laughing in its face. And the hope of that. As 2024 does evolve, I'm sure in the same way that the light speed of 2023 did did for us this year, I do think some of the stuff we're really focusing on next year is around this like practical application of how do these things, why do they matter? What do we do? Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. really excited about that. So for 2024, we'll we'll raise our glass uh, and and looking forward to to that um, up ahead. And we will be back shortly. But we just want to thank you again. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for being a part of our little podcast family in 2023. We cannot wait to embark on all these new adventures with you. So we wish you all a joyful holiday season and a fantastic start to 2024. You can listen and download our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, directly from our website at flux.io. That's F-L-U-X-X dot I-O. 